Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hi, everyone. It's Jessica, your host. And before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to uh, share a few announcements from the Atman Yoga School, who is the sponsor of the One Sacred Pause podcast. Uh, a lot of really cool programs have been announced. Registration is now open. Uh, there's a restorative and yoga nidra teacher training in October in Oslo, halfway full. So if you want to join us, uh, send an email to hello at atmanyogaschool.com. Also, we have a few places left in our Trondheim 200-hour vinyasa and Ayurveda yoga teacher training. That is starting in October. And then we have just announced, we're so excited, we've announced all of the programs for 2020. That's right. So everything is up. It is live and correct on the Atman Yoga School website. So two teacher trainings, both in Oslo next year, uh, 200 hours starting in January, 200 hours starting in August. And um, we have a new studio partner, The Room, there in Oslo. So we are really excited. And there will be two restorative trainings one in Oslo, one in Sheehan. And then the last program we'll be offering for 2020 is a five-day intensive uh, advanced vinyasa teacher training. So this is a standalone training and it's open to anybody who has taken a 200-hour training previously and would like to learn more about sequencing and cueing and how to put a, a good, strong, inspiring, dynamic vinyasa yoga class together. So stay tuned, check it out, and and I hope you'll join us. And now it's time to jump right in. This week's episode is so fun, so inspiring. I know you're going to love it. All right. That's it. That's all. Hello and welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I am very excited to be speaking with somebody who's really inspiring and up to some interesting things that are slightly outside the scope of yoga and meditation, but also slightly within the scope of yoga and meditation. So today I am speaking with breathwork healer and so much more, Erin Telford. So welcome, Erin. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm really, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a really long time because um, I recently, well, I guess two months ago, April, went and I did a breathwork training with you in London and it was, it was amazing and it really gave me sort of a boost of inspiration in my personal practice, in my professional practice and I just want to talk to you about breathwork and what this whole thing is all about. So will you tell us just a little bit about the type or style of breathwork that you facilitate? Yes. So, um, you know, I think as breathwork is getting a lot more popular there, I mean, there are so many different types of breathwork, but the breathwork that I practice and teach and train people to offer and facilitate is um, created by David Elliott. And it falls under the same category. There are many different types of breathwork that facilitate emotional release and connection to your intuition and um, opening of your heart and connection to your creativity and healing your trauma. So this type of breathwork falls under that same kind of umbrella as holotropic breathwork, transformational breathwork, shamanic breathwork, clarity breathwork, all breathwork practices designed to um heal and open and um, 
so many other things. Mm. <laughs> so um, this one in particular is David Elliott's technique, and it does not have a trademarked or a specific name, um, but it is a breathwork practice that is designed for emotional release and many other things. Yeah. Well, and it can be a really strong practice too, because, you know, I come from more of the traditional yogic pranayama background. And what's your background? Did you, were you doing a lot of yogic pranayama before you found this, David Elliott? I mean, I was a practitioner of yoga. I can't remember. I think I had, I went to my first yoga class in, um, oh, like 2002, something like that. Um, so it had been, I mean, I, I, did all the breath work that you do in yoga, the alternate nostril breathing, breath of fire, and um, all the different types of like calming and centering breaths and, and breaths that get you into deeper into a pose and deeper into alignment with your body and um, all the transitional phases of yoga and inhaling and exhaling as you're moving from shape to shape. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I always thought of breath work as something that was just something I would do, you know, during yoga class or at the beginning or at the end. And it was always more for the purpose of, of calming, centering and grounding and like helping me be present and arrive in my body. And the first time that I did this breathwork practice, I was like, oh, this is not that this is the <laughs> opposite of that, that this is like blowing the roof off you know, taking a lid off, <laughs> um, and really moving and, and firing up things rather than calming and bringing you down and in. Yes. Well, and so I think that is the big difference between the more traditional pranayama breath control and a style of breathing, like the one that you teach, the one that you trained me to teach where the main goal or main purpose is the emotional release versus a traditional pranayama where that might be a byproduct of the experience of concentration right. on breath. But usually the main focus or goal is just like you said, it's more to calm the mind. It's more to uh, come into the body. It's more to activate awareness of the present moment. And then through that, perhaps clearing the energy channels of the body. And then through that, perhaps releasing emotion, but it wasn't the main number one, okay, this is what we're hoping to have happen. And so the breath work that you teach is very, I would, I mean, I'm going to say intense. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good word. Yeah. And it's a it's, very fair word. It's because it's designed to release emotion, it's stimulating and triggering a response. And will you describe a little bit about what some of the responses might be in students or people practicing this breath work? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, mm, I want to say a word before I talk about the responses, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, we, we need all the breathwork practices. We need, we need so many tools in our bag. We need so many different, um, things to do that fit each situation. You know, we all need tools to ground center and calm, but what I think is, kind of has been missing in the wellness field. And I think that there's been um, so much fear around, I'm, I'm kind of being going on a tangent a little bit right now, but I think that there's been a lot of um, fear on the, the part of the facilitator and also fear on the part of the student of like, can I handle this and can I go this far? And we've kind of hit this, um, this plateau or this place of, can I go farther with this, with our, with our healing? And 
the idea of like blowing the roof off or taking the lid off of all of these like long, long suffering, buried emotions can seem dangerous or frightening. And, but I think it's really that to go beyond our edge, just like in yoga, you know, you, you ride your edge, you, you go to where you feel comfortable and then you go a little bit deeper. And that's the only way that we deepen our practice. And that's really the only way that we actually get to the healing that we're desiring is going beyond our comfort zone. So as far as, um, now I've forgotten the question, like possibilities for what can happen. Responses. So, I mean, on a very base level, a physical response could be that you feel tingling and vibrating in your whole body. So you might feel a physical manifestation of opening your heart, of an endorphin release, of inviting the highest vibration of joy and love and universal life force energy into your body. You might feel that strongly circulating all over, which can be a very intense physical sensation. Um, You might have some constricting or cramping in your mouth or your hands or other places in your body. Um, You might feel um, on a more, you know, emotional or spiritual level. You might feel more love and connection to yourself and the universe and the idea of forgiveness than you've ever felt in your life. You may feel like your consciousness is altered. You may connect the dots on things that have evaded you for your entire life. You might have a visitation from a, you know, a parent or a friend or a loved one that is no longer in physical form. You may get a massive creative download and inspiration or idea for something you want to do in your life. You may find forgiveness for somebody that you never thought was possible or even for yourself. You may heal your anxiety, your depression, your trauma. There are the list of responses, physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental are endless. So it really depends on, just like with any practice, the consistency, the depth, and the surrender of where you're willing to go and how you're willing to hold yourself through the intensity of your experience. But I have seen in my clients. And like, this is what keeps me excited about this work for years and years and years is what I see, how I see my life changing and how I see how I feel in my body and how I feel about myself and what I've let go of and myself, my students and my clients' lives is mind blowing. And so there's really, there really aren't any limits to how far you can go with this practice. It just depends on what you feel willing to do and show up for. Mm. It's a big answer. <laughs> it's a big answer, but I mean that's it's a big practice. So it's a big it, practice. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it makes sense. Both big, yeah. Yeah. Would you describe what the breath pattern is like for somebody listening who's like, okay, they keep talking about breath work, but what is that? What does what that mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's a very it's it's funny because it's a very simple, um, seemingly easy pattern. Um, We do this breath laying down and you breathe into your low belly. So the area of your second chakra where you've got everything around relationships, love, sexuality, creativity, receiving um, your relationship to food and money and your trauma. So we breathe there to infuse a lot of prana into that kind of murky, dusty kind of skeletons in the closet area. 
and also the home of your second brain, your gut. And then we inhale into the heart space, your third brain. So you're letting go of your attachment to your logical thinking brain and accessing information in the gut brain and the heart brain. So other other areas of information that we don't often check in with or maybe a little bit less than our brain brain. So first inhale into the belly, second inhale comes into the high chest or the heart space so that we can access and move some prana around um, our joy, love, connection, intimacy, vulnerability, tenderness, joy, if I didn't say joy already, um, but also accessing, you know, feelings around the heart of um, grief, loss, disappointment, sadness, betrayal, um, lack of trust in self or others. So we send all of this, all of this energy and all this fresh oxygen into these spaces and places so that we can move and start to cleanse and clear some of the energy that's hanging out there. And then we release. So it's inhale into the belly, inhale into the heart, exhale, all the breath is done through the mouth. And it gets really interesting, even though it seems very simple. Yes, but you do it for (laughs) you do it for a long time, though too. Yes. And you do it for the active breath is for 30 to 35 minutes, which, you know, depending on where you're at can feel um, like the longest time on the planet, or it can go by in a second. Mm. And it's actually, I think of all the breathwork practices, it's actually the the um, shortest practice. Most other practices, they'll breathe for three hours, one hour. It's a pretty um, efficient an effective kind of um, shorter practice in comparison to some of the other emotional release techniques. Yeah. And I had, I know for myself, when I was with you in London, um, one of the responses I had that I'd never had before that I thought was very cool and special was I actually had an affirmation come into my mind. And I was in the very much in the practice in that moment. And all of a sudden, I just had this urge it wasn't even an urge. It was deeper than an urge. It was coming from inside where I had to vocalize this affirmation. And it was an affirmation I've never used before. I've never spoken before. And it was so powerful to have this very raw, real, almost primal information come through myself and inform myself about some areas of my life where I can have permission to do something different. And it was the coolest thing. And it's, it's stuck with me for so long since April, because it was something I'd never really considered. And so with my waking mind, anyways, with my conscious mind, right. And so in the breath work, when you're riding the wave and that ebb and flow of the energy, and it's super intense, and there's a lot of prana moving through you shaking things up, there is this sort of ability to access those more subconscious levels of our being and to have some of those messages sort of bubble up to the surface. And so for me, that was one of my personal experiences where I was like, okay, this is the juice. This is, this is why we do the practice (laughs) is to kind of get out of our own way a little bit. Yes. Do you feel like sharing what that affirmation is? I'm really curious now. Yeah. The affirmation (laughs) was, I am allowed to change my life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. It's things like that. It's so simple. But when you feel it, like with every cell in your body, 
it is the most profound thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, it still, it gives me chills just even seeing it right now. Yeah, because it's giving me chills too. There's, there's a lot of different meanings for that. And, and I, for me, it's actually something I had been working with um, on a more subconscious level, well, in a more aware level also, mm-hmm. but in sort of a different phrase with different words and more couched around this idea of something um, that I teach a lot of with yoga philosophy and that I work with personally from the philosophy of yoga. And it's this idea of responsibility and mm-hmm. responsibility for our choices, responsibility for our actions and stepping out of this victim mentality, this drama mentality of, Oh, why do things happen to me? Instead of being like, huh? Okay. First of all, isn't that interesting? Life happens. But then how do we create practices and rituals in our life that allow us to see more clearly to the heart of the matter in any present moment? So what we perceive to be an experience that's happening to us, quote unquote, how can we perhaps uh, take a more macro viewpoint and be like, wow, okay, this is an opportunity for growth, for lessons, for learning. And in any moment, we have choice. But with with choice comes that responsibility component. So all of this is kind of what was going through my mind. And then to have it just sort of distilled down to this one succinct uh, succinct uh, affirmation. And it was in affirmation form. Like it was exactly word for word. I am allowed to change my life. And I, I was just like, oh, okay. Even when we have a lot of practices, healing practices or tools in our toolbox, it doesn't mean we're exempt <laughs> from having to continue to do the work. And oh, so, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I mean, it might even, <laughs> it might even mean we have to do more work in order to continue holding space for others, if that's the realm that we're in, like you and I are. And so it's very interesting, but it's also, it's very personal, but it's this, also, I guess, the idea of accountability both on the personal level, but also on a professional level to some degree also. And yeah, so for me, that was my big takeaway from my training that I did with you was that message that came through that I didn't know I really needed to hear in a different way. I mean, it's funny because like you could read that exact sentence on like an oracle card or something, or someone could say that to you, or you could even have that as like a personal mantra. But when you're only feeling something on a mental level, it's not that deep. It's not that profound. Like you can look at those words and be like, yeah, of course I can change my life. Like, yeah, what? uh, Yeah, like that's something I can do. But when you're experiencing something, one thing that I always thought about yoga, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, is that, you know, I would say probably one out of five yoga classes I would go to, somebody would say to me, all the answers are inside of you, you know, (laughs) in a really breezy, like, you know, (laughs) kind of fashion. And I was always like, yeah, where, like, where, where, you know, where do you find them? And with breath work, it's like you have such a straight shot to the core of your divine intelligence and your wisdom that when you are delivered, when you're in that altered state of consciousness, I mean, what I love about breath or one of the many things I love about breath work is that it is like a short 
efficient, effective psychedelic experience. You know, you are altering your consciousness. So you step into another zone where you can be delivered a mantra like that, where it arises out of the deepest part of your subconscious and your nervous system and your higher consciousness, your higher self. And it's just like, zing, the truest of the most true things for me right now is this. And it is so much like embedded in your DNA and your bones that it's a different experience to hear that rising up out of yourself rather than just like seeing it written out on a card somewhere. So it's like you get delivered this truest of true information for you and you get to have a place where you can somewhat easily access those answers that we're always looking for. And they're very rarely complicated, you know? I think that's an interesting thing. Like I'm allowed to change my life. That's not complex. I mean, it is in that there's so many different ways that that can look and so many actions that can be taken from that. But like when you arrive at that truth from a place of nervous system and conscious awareness, it's much deeper than the way that you experience it on a mental level. And it's actually like it becomes part of how you operate in your life, not just something that you think. So it creates a new pattern, which I think that's like, that's what we're trying to do over and over again, is we're trying to rewrite the story and rewrite the DNA and like rewrite the conditioning. And that's, that's a way, you know, breathwork can do that very quickly and somewhat easily. Mm. Yeah. But there's also, I mean, it's the same, I think with any healing modality is there is a requirement of vulnerability and courage to step into that space of the unknown where you show up for your first breathwork session and you're like, what's going to happen? What, (laughs) I mean, there might be too much or a very high expectation of like, okay, I'm going to do one breathwork session. And all of a sudden in that 30 minutes, my entire life is going to flash before my eyes. I'm going to come home and I'm going to be a totally changed person. So there could be (laughs) kind of like that expectation set, or there could perhaps be, um, skepticism. Like, I don't know about this. There have been some pretty, you know, wild claims made about the power of breath work. I guess I'll try it. So there's this whole gamut of possibility, but just even showing up, I think, because it's unknown is kind of the scariest part for a lot of people. But on one hand, it's this push-pull. On one hand, many of us who are coming to alternative modalities seeking Uh, We want to have some shifts and transformations, but it's like, okay, we want a little, but maybe not too much. (laughs) Baby steps. You don't get to choose that. No. (laughs) No, to moderate the way that you move along. Um, Yeah, and especially not with breath work. I mean, I guess you can always not breathe or stop your breath, but, um, you know, I really... I like both states of mind. I always want to, because the potential is so high with breath work for healing and healing backwards and forwards that like, I always want to put, you know, I kind of joke sometimes at the beginning of groups and I'm like, you know, maybe we're not going to solve all of our problems right now, but let's at least put it on the table that (laughs) it's a possibility, you know, like why not? Why not go as far as we can? Because one of the most common things that people say after a breathwork session is, well, that was worth years of therapy. Mm. 
you know, or months, maybe, you know, I had a friend say someone said to him, well, that was worth 20 years of therapy. So, you know, maybe they weren't doing too much in those 20 years. But, um, you know, why not? Because when we're rewiring our nervous system, and when we are somatically releasing the byproducts of trauma from our body, we can elevate and turbo boost our healing and really push it along so far. So, you know, it really is, like you said, it's the showing up and the willingness, you know, if you want to stay in control, if you want to be in your mind, you know, if you want to be a skeptic, that's great. Like I, I'm not ever trying to sell anybody on this breath work. Like you show up and do it or you show up and you don't do it, whatever. I don't have an attachment to people, you know, doing it or not doing it, believing it or not believing in it, but you don't have to believe in it for it to work. And all you have to do is breathe to make something really interesting happen. Mm, Yes. Well, and that was one of the reasons I was, there were two main reasons why I was really interested in this style of breath work. And the first one was because it's 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 right in line with the teachings of Ayurveda. And I um, teach a lot of Ayurveda in my school. I practice a lot of Ayurveda. And one of the common held beliefs in Ayurveda is this idea that if we repress or avoid emotion, it actually gets trapped in the body. And at some point, accumulation of those trapped emotions becomes toxic buildup. And then that begins to manifest in some sort of physical form. So we make ourselves physically ill when we avoid or repress emotion. And so I agree with that. It's I mean, it's almost like a no brainer where you're like, well, hello, of course. But (laughs) (laughs) that's again, just like you were saying earlier, that's a, a really clear example of the difference between the thinking mind and the feeling mind. And the analytical mind is like, well, hello, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. But the feeling mind is still a little bit like, ooh, but that means I have to feel my emotions. (laughs) Yeah, which is terrifying. And your nervous system doesn't like that. It's not not a fan of anything like that. Mm, Yes. But if we want to create sustainable, deep healing, we have to do it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It's kind yeah. of the bottom line. Exactly. So that was that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this breath work was for kind of this other Ayurvedic reason. And it was, okay, how do I put other tools in my toolbox that can help me accelerate emotional process? Mm. And I was like, cool, all right, even though I have all of these other tools from yoga and Ayurveda and pranayama and meditation. Um, I, I want to find something new, something different. And that was the second reason that I really was intrigued by this style of breath work was my first experience with it had been just like mind blowing. And then I also was like, gosh, I love what I do so much. I run my yoga school and I train and mentor people in yoga and Ayurveda, but we all know this as healers. Um, you have to be continuing to stay fresh in your inspiration and in your well of inspiration. And I wanted to learn something that was a little bit outside the scope of everything else I already did. And this breath work, because it's so simple yet so profoundly powerful, I was like, yes, that is the missing piece in what I'm doing. 
And it's just, it's so beautiful. I'm so obsessed with this breath work right now. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so cool. And it's, I still love like 100% love everything else that I do and, and my daily practice and all the other components to uh, my lifestyle. But it's for me, the takeaway was like, oh yeah, we need to always keep that beginner's mindset that there's something more to learn. And just because we have one thing that works for us, it doesn't mean it's always going to work for us or that it's going to work for us in every single situation. Like we might need to negotiate a little bit some of our practices and rituals that we do. Yeah, I think that is so important. And I love that. And I'm, I've definitely been feeling that as you know, we were talking before we started recording about not being pushed in a while. Um, and yeah, I, I think once you start to feel, you know, when you're a teacher or a leader or someone in, in a healing profession, you do need to just stay um, a couple steps ahead, you know, of, of whoever you're, you're coming to. It's the refinement. And I, I think I said this in our training that like your limits are your clients limits or your students limits. And so I love the investment of pushing your own edge and operating at that that upper limit of what you think that you can do and really um, cultivating yourself personally and professionally to be able to continue to show up and evolve and um, grow. You know, we're not I we I don't think we have fun unless we're doing that. Like as these personality types of people who are seekers, we're not having a good time unless we're continuing to learn and grow, not not constantly in like a in a, like a, um, you know, manic feverish, yeah, like a feverish pursuit of collecting wisdom or tools, but in a way that's like a natural organic progression of who we are as human beings and what we're meant to do on the planet. Mm, yeah. So I'm curious, I know you talked a little bit about it when uh, you, we did the training and I've read some on your website, but you were, so you are an acupuncturist also, and yes. you were working full time as an acupuncturist, right? When you kind of stumbled across this breath work. Yes. Yes. And so how did that sort of shift for you? Like, were you actively looking for something? And then when you found it, I remember you saying like it, didn't you do, you did a retreat with David. Was that your first experience? You were, no, you were in Nicaragua or something yes. at a training and you signed yeah. up. So I'd been in, I'd been an acupuncturist full time since 2010. And I think I, and an herbalist, and I think that I also got my Reiki master training somewhere in between um, acupuncture school and discovering breath work, but it was um, February 2014. And yes, I went on a yoga retreat to Nicaragua with um, a dear uh, friend of mine, um, Luke Simon, who was leading the retreat. And he said that we we're going to do some breath work before dinner. And because it was a yoga retreat and I was only familiar with yoga breath work, I just assumed that we were going to do, you know, some breath of fire, whatever the, you know, kind of standard typical like yogic class breath work type things. And when he had us lay down and start doing this breath, I just, wow. I mean, it was it was such a beautiful, intense experience on so many levels. I mean, it was nighttime in the jungle, so you've got the ocean waves crashing on the rocks on the beach. You've got all the 
nighttime jungle creatures, the birds and the insects and stuff and the wind and the rustle in the trees. And then we had this other wonderful yoga teacher who was just very gently playing a drum and singing some medicine songs, like very subtle, um, no speaker, no modern music. And we're doing the breath. And I just, I just, and, and I'm, I'm a emotional person. I'm not one who like, doesn't cry, I cry fairly easily, but I was starting to feel all this emotion rising up in me. And I thought, why I'm just breathing? Like, why do I want to cry? I was really confused and a little bit, a little bit self-conscious because I thought, oh, like, here you go again, Erin. <laughs> you know, you're the sensitive one who's going to start bawling for no reason. Um, and there were people uh, on the left and right of me who actually were a lot more vocal and less self-conscious and they started to cry. And then I felt like I had permission to cry. And as we, you know, move through the breath with the screaming and the yelling and the tears and the affirmations and the vibrations and the clearing, I had an experience where I felt my sister who had um, died about five years earlier, like come over and put her hand on my heart. Mm. And it was so profound to feel like her, her love and like her presence with me that I just like that happened. And then I felt more love and joy and connectedness in my heart for not only myself, but for like every person who was on that retreat and then every person in the world. Mm. And I never felt my heart that big before. And it was just, it blew my freaking mind. And so I, and I feel like I had more of an intense experience than anyone else. That was there. <laughs> I was, I was just, I was in shock. And I, I just said to Luke, I was like, what the fuck was that? Yes. <laughs> what did we just do? Where did you learn that? Like, I was just like this, it was like a remembering. It was a remembering of something that was so visceral in my, in my body. I was like, I know this. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the way, like, this is it. This is the thing that I didn't know I was looking for. This is the thing that, um, this is going to change the game. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I need more. So right before we, uh, we went to dinner, I just ran back to my room. We had very like spotty internet, of course, cause we're in the jungle. Um, but I, I looked up, I looked up David's web- website and I just booked a retreat with him for, um, for May, I went on his Memorial Day retreat and, and, uh, I, I was a little, um, just to be honest, I was a little bit, uh, I needed to vet him. I was, you know, that was kind of the very beginning of all the like shady yoga teacher guru stuff Mm -hmm. that was kind of floating around. And I just thought like, he needs to pass some tests before I want to actually choose him as a teacher. And, um, and so I, I went there to like check him out, you know, and see if he was a good guy. And um, and he was. So that's when we started working together. So I, I started working with him uh, May of 2014. And he has changed my life and been the most powerful mentor and teacher I've really ever had. God, that's beautiful. And 
I absolutely agree with what you're saying, though, that you have to vet teachers and you have to be a little yes. wary. And that's one thing I tell my students all the time. When you're looking for trainings, when you're looking for a mentor, you need to be really picky and you need to ask hard questions. And um, I think that's something that's sort of not, it's kind of almost been, I'm not going to say like swept under the rug. I think it's just, it's not being taught like to ask questions about teachers. Yeah, it's uh, to me that feels symptomatic of kind of a greater issue um, where, you know, I think for we're, we're just kind of coming into a generation where people actually are. Um, mm, let's see how to how to say this. I think that we have outsourced our power and our authority for many generations to parents, doctors, therapists, teachers, and leaders. And they've kind of like stepped into this realm of gods, you know, where we don't question. And that's kind of like an ancient kind of apprenticeship type thing where, you know, the guru knows all, you know, nothing and you bow at their feet. And I think that as we're coming back into being able to find our personal power and authority, um, being discerning is like essential, but we we've lost a lot of critical thinking skills on the way, um, and and a feeling of 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 being able to ask, you know, of feeling like you have a right to look to kind of do a little bit of a background check for them, and if you're vetting someone, like know what you're vetting them for, like what are you what are you tracking for, you know, I I was tracking for. Um, for safety. And I was tracking for, um, non-abusive power. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to see how he conducted himself with women, with men, when things got a little bit dicey, I wanted to see his, his, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want him to be sitting on a throne. I wasn't interested in working with someone who was like that. Um, and I think a lot of people are, some people are looking for a replacement for an infallible parent, you know, and, in my own unconscious way, I was also looking for that through David. So I did work out a lot, a lot, a lot of my like dad issues and my authority issues like through him, on him, with him. Mm -hmm. But um, you have to know what you're looking for when you're looking for a teacher and then also be willing to be surprised um, because our projection of our parents onto teachers and people that we align ourselves with can be kind of sneaky. Absolutely. And I think when we're talking about something like breathwork, like healing, when those words are being thrown around, um, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people who act unethically and kind of slide in using these buzzwords to to manipulate people and to um, create power for themselves. And so mm -hmm. I really... Typically, I try to always keep an open mind to the best of my ability. And I honestly believe that most people are doing the best they can with what they have. But when it comes to a spiritual practice and any sort of spiritual guidance, we have to have a healthy amount of skepticism and not skepticism of the practice, but skepticism of the guide in terms of are they just like what you said, how do they act in person and how do they present themselves and what are the requirements to be part of their community? Are they asking their students to 
bow at their feet and brush their hair? (laughs) Or (laughs) are they uh, not naming any names or are they? (laughs) Oh yeah. Several. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Those people. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, in the yoga community. And it's, it's frightening to me, but it's also, I think if you, you used one of my very favorite words, discernment, if you spend a little bit of time researching a teacher or sending them an email, I always say this, if you send an email to a teacher who you want to study with or learn from, and they can't be bothered to respond, or they send you like a form, form letter from their assistant, yes. then you need to really think hard about if you want to study with them because there are so many amazing teachers and guides out there who healers who are humble and who want to be of service and who bring the very best of themselves to their work. And so it's trying to sift behind the hype and the branding that everybody's doing these days to get down to like, okay, first of all, is this a practice that's legitimate? Is this a teacher that's legitimate? And then finally, is this a practice that I want to learn. Like there's so many different options out there. We don't have to all do all of them. No. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's, I really appreciate you saying that. And I, I think like, yeah, it, at least, you know, checking out someone's credentials and background and using, using your intuition, you know, feeling into somebody and feeling into their presence, the way that they bring themselves through, whether it's on social media or, you know, on a podcast or um, in a blog or however they're communicating their essence in a public space. You know, you can, someone can really look very bright and shiny and appear to look the part Um, but not be necessarily like addressing certain things in their personal life that would make them um, maybe get a little wonky or sideways in a teaching environment or any healing experience. So I, yeah, I think that, that us being able to tap in and use our intuition to find that discernment and use that critical thinking and feel into a person because someone might be You might hear from a friend or someone you really love and care about and respect, and they might might be like, this person is amazing. You know, (laughs) this person changed my life. But just because that person changed that person's life and they resonate with them doesn't mean that they're right for everybody. So you just have to see what feels right for you and who you connect with and who you feel safe around, respected by, heard by, taken care of, you know, whatever you're really looking for. Yeah. And that brings up another good point too, kind of from the other side of it. So for example, you as a healer holding space, both in your personal practice, when you see clients one-on-one, but then of course, when you're holding and facilitating uh, these trainings, um, when somebody in your session maybe doesn't resonate with the work that you personally do. And so this is when as a healer or as a teacher, it's, it can be a struggle, of course, to not let your ego take over <laughs> and be like, well, wait a minute, why didn't they like what I taught? Why didn't they like what I did? And letting that be okay, too, if not everybody resonates with your message. Yeah, that's okay with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad. I mean, then, but that's what yeah. I'm saying, too, is the other side of it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's I, I always really appreciate it. Um, and I don't know, you may or may not have remembered this, but we did have somebody that left and didn't come back for day two of that training. Oh, yes, I did notice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I had a feeling I was talking to Michelle about it in the morning before we got started and and just kind of like downloading and, and, you know, comparing some notes on on the first day. And so when they didn't come back, I wasn't shocked. Mm. And it was very, um, it made sense uh, from what I had kind of like assessed of them as a person. Um, But it was the first time that it ever happened to me, you know, no one had ever like not come back for a training. And, and it's not uncommon, I wouldn't say it's frequent whatsoever. But you know, I kind of compared some notes with some other people that teach level one and um, that had happened a, a lot more <laughs> to other people. So, um, you know, again, it's like, I love, I love what I do so much and I don't, I don't need to sell it to anybody. And I also, you know, one thing that I decided a long time ago was that I only want to work with people who are, um, open, available and humble. So, you know, if someone's not vibing with the way that I teach, um, because I have a pretty, I wouldn't say that I'm the most neutral teacher. I wouldn't say that I'm the easiest teacher. I think I'm a kind teacher and a gentle teacher, but I do ask a lot of people because I know that they're capable of it. Mm. So I think the strength of my personality is going to turn off a lot of people and also invite a lot of people in. So if someone doesn't resonate with me, I don't take it personally. And I I think that it's it's just like you know, your, your love of the work you do is going to attract the right people. And if people are not into it, they're not into it. And it doesn't bother me personally. Yeah, which is great. I think that's what we all should strive for. And I know, um, sometimes though, that can be easier said than done. And maybe this is more of a yoga thing than a, than a breathwork thing necessarily, but in yoga teacher trainings, or if I'm mentoring newer teachers and say they're going in to teach a yoga class and they're not getting any verbal feedback or um, nonverbal feedback, rather, sorry, nonverbal feedback from their students, like, you know, a smile and eye contact and a nod during the class that the teacher is leading, then the teacher right. might leave that class being like, oh my God, everybody hated it. Nobody liked it. I'm such a bad teacher. When, of course, the class was great. And it was just their perception of the information they were getting. And so it's hard in that uh, example not to have the ego creep in and be like, okay, well, shoot, maybe I need to change what I do. Maybe I need to change my voice. Maybe maybe I need to change this X, Y, and Z. And so getting out of the strength of their message and getting into the woulda, shoulda, coulda kind of thinking patterns. And I think that can happen very easily because anybody in this line of work does it ultimately because they want to be of service. And so when you want to be of service, then the natural inclination is like, okay, how can I do better? And sometimes that message can get a little distorted into, into a little bit of the ego, like, okay, well, why didn't they like me? Don't they know I'm a great teacher and I'm a great <laughs> breathwork guide? Or, you know, of course, <laughs> hopefully somebody who's really rooted strongly in their own personal practice will be able to kind of quiet those thoughts. But yeah. I would be lying, and I think anybody would be lying, if they said they never came up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that they I'm just thinking of one um, experience in particular, like when I first started 
because I didn't, I didn't start, I mean, I'm a relatively new teacher, so I didn't start teaching until, um, until, yeah, I guess the end of 2014. And I remember the first, I mean, I did a couple moon circles. Like I, I taught very, you know, co-taught a handful of workshops with, with some friends, but I remember the first time that I looked out on those, um, that like sea of faces and everyone's face was like resting blank face, kind <laughs> yes. of, you know, and it was hard to see. It was really hard. I was because you're like, are they bored? What are they thinking? Do they hate this? Like <laughs> when there's no affect like coming through, yeah. you know, and I think also with breath work, too, because sometimes people can look like they're not even breathing or they're not doing anything and they're not emoting or expressing or feeling. And then you'll find out, you know, in both situations, you'll find out at the end after you've taught that they're like, oh, my God, that was so amazing. That was like the most profound experience. You're like, you didn't even look like you were doing anything <laughs> like that happened to you. Um but I think with, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've noticed, like I've watched my own face when I'm listening to someone in a group teaching and it's not animated, you know, it's not like, um, giving lots of, lots of face to the person to reassure <laughs> them that they're doing a good job. But I think that there's like, there's a line, there's a line where noticing how you're received in a class and how you're moving and managing the energy of your class or your healing group or whatever it might be and taking notes and rather than going on the on the side of the line where you go into self-criticism and self-judgment or self-flagellation and then maybe listen to some over-enthusiastic cheerleading friends they're like you're the best you're great you don't need to change anything like to just notice where like um you know, you, you might need to lighten some things up a little bit. You know, maybe there's room for a joke. Maybe there's room for a little bit more of your personality. Maybe there's room for, you know, there, there's nothing I think that's more boring than um, people trying to please and appease and appeal to everybody so much that they are basic and neutral in their teaching. Like, I want to see someone's heart. I want to see someone's personality. I want to see someone's personal wisdom. I want to see some of their, like how they got through some pain. I don't want to hear the same stuff recycled 500 times. So like there is in that quest for evolution and mastery as a teacher to really kind of look like, how do I want this space to feel and what might I need to shift within myself? So I'm actually creating more connection and like more attention and more vibrancy in the space that I'm in. Exactly. And yeah, being a little bit more confident to step away from like the default. And the default is sort of that watered down place of teaching that I think a lot of people kind of end up in because there's a fear of, okay, what happens if I actually truly unleash my power? What happens if I unapologetically yeah. step into that space where I'm so authentic in what I'm saying that, yeah, some people might be scared off. Some people might leave my class or my healing session, but the people who stay are the people who are really connecting to the energy of whatever's coming through me. And I think that can be a, a real place of growth, but it also, again, comes back to this idea of, all right, well, that requires two things, vulnerability and courage. 
And so now we're back kind of full circle to, all right, well, that's why breath work can be so great. You can practice showing up with that vulnerability and that courage. And then through the action of the breath, you can create more confidence. And then through that, when you come off and you're going into whatever it is that you do that you need more confidence for, uh, but specifically, I think if you're somebody who uses your voice physically, like if you're a teacher, if you're a healer, Mm -hmm. having the confidence to project your voice and to have a flow of energy through your voice and through your message is so important and what we should be striving for. And so I think using the breath work in that way for that end goal, it's kind of like uh, the chicken and the egg a little bit. Like you got to start somewhere, but then once you do, it keeps balancing the energy on each side. Yeah. And just like yoga, it's always about taking it off the mat. Mm, Absolutely. Yes. You know, it's like whatever you learn, heal and and find in your breathwork practice or or learn, heal and find in your yoga p- practice. It's like taking that, taking what you know and taking it into your everyday life and like your interactions with people, uh, you know, not just your students, but your family, your partner, your kids, your friends. Um, and I only want to work m- me personally. I only want to work with people who are vulnerable and courageous because to me, it's like, that's, that's, that's an essential part of being able to, to push other people and grow as human beings. So if you don't have those qualities as a teacher, um, those are really strong areas to work on. Yes. And cultivate comfort with those things. For sure. They they go, I think, I don't know if anyone's watched that Brene Brown special on Netflix, but, um, and you, you may not get this in Scandinavia, but um, she, she basically says like those can't exist separately. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it takes extreme courage to be vulnerable. Um, but then once you, once you start practicing it and you realize how good it feels to not have to, to be able to take your masks off and remove all those layers of people pleasing and protection, it feels great to be in that space because you're just being who you are. Yes. And then your light can shine through too. And I think that's what people are attracted to and magnetized towards is somebody who's very obviously in alignment with whatever their personal truth is. Yeah. The most magnetic. Yes. I know. So again, it comes back to this idea of like, that's what we're all searching for to some degree. And yet there's like these self-imposed roadblocks to that development. It's like, okay, well then how do we find these tools? How do we utilize these tools? Yeah. And it's the freedom to be yourself. You know, I, I think we all, we all begin as our essential selves and then we just have all this crap piled on us about who we think we're allowed to be and what we think we're allowed to do and how we fit in or don't fit in and our conditioning from our family and our conditioning from society. And then we have to unlearn all of that stuff in order to find our way back to our essence but our essence is like never marred, never damaged. It's always just there. And it's, yeah, it's just unpeeling the layers of all the debris that we accumulate around thinking that we're not allowed to actually be who we are. Mm. Yes, that resonates so much with me because I remember when I first started teaching yoga, um, it wasn't until after I'd taken my third teacher training that I thought I was good enough <laughs> to actually be a yoga teacher. And 
you know, and then of course, I never would have imagined that many years later, I would own a teaching school, and this was my full time career. And so it's really cool to see a progression when we do start to lean into uh, trusting ourselves, and kind of letting ourselves develop in a way that maybe we didn't expect. Yeah, and it's so fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I never thought I'd be here, but here I am. Yeah. Know? And it feels so right. And congratulations to you, too, to allowing, you know, your intuition and your life force and your essential self to lead you down your path of growth and development. Like that is, it's bold to do that, to answer the call of life and let yourself be led. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh But then you get kind of a little bit to the other side and you're like, oh, I see. I see what all that struggle was for. I see what all that doubt was about. There's a there's a grindy portion, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I would say for a lot of myself and like uh, my friends, there was I think we've all kind of discussed maybe. And I mean, this is. It's it's not the same for everybody, but but since we, you know, we were always doing personal work before we discovered breath work, but this was such a shot in the arm for all of us. So, you know, for the past like four or five years, I've been going really hard in the like trauma healing, family healing, self-love, insecurity, self-worth, personal power. Like I've been dismantling everything that I, that I thought about myself and what I thought, what I knew to be true when I was growing up. And, and it was hard work, you know, it was not enjoyable. I didn't want to do it ever, you know, but I knew that I had to do it. And so, yeah, that other side is like glorious. It's pretty incredible. And, you know, things keep coming in that need to be addressed and fine tuned and worked on. And, um, I don't think I'm exempt from, you know, further lessons and challenges in my life by any means, but like going, taking the time to like go through the muck and really dig into some of those like gnarly parts of yourself and, um, the wounds you carry and the limiting beliefs you carry. It's the toughest work you'll ever do, but it's the most rewarding and it's so fascinating on the other side. And even during it, you know, what moves and shifts and what opens up for you as you go along in mm. that work. Yes. Well, and now it's super cool to see because, and I always think it's really wonderful when people share like actually <laughs> the struggles they had along their path and the reality of what doing spiritual inquiry work is like because it's not pretty and it can be actually very painful. Um, But there is, again, this element of trust and faith and belief and and everything that it will pay off. But, you know, I mean, you teach at these big festivals and you do these really cool events. You did one not too long ago with, uh, was it sound healing in a cathedral? Yeah. My uh, friend Sarah Oster and I do breath work and then uh, sound healing together and yeah, we did it. We did a uh, 97 people at a group in Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. Oh, it's so it was really I, cool. I can't even imagine what the energy would be like. It was probably it was wild. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. It was really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but being, being able to take this practice and this is the other thing that really attracted me to it in terms of kind of a um, how to share it 
is Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of room to make the practice your own in terms of how you share it with other people. And I know, um, you know, and I want to be very careful that I'm not like overstepping what I've been trained to do or the work that David Elliott's doing and that you're doing through his style. Um, But what I mean by that is, you know, combining it with music or combining it with I know you were like, okay, you shouldn't combine it with other um, energy healing work, specifically like Reiki, I know you said in the training, but can you talk about maybe what, what could be done with it? Like, um, I'm thinking like meditation. I mean, the thing that I think about the practice, you know, when we're doing the training, I'm wanting to, you know, the reason that I'm having people not do Reiki during, you know, practicing with the partner sessions is because I want people to be able to feel the power and the depth of what it feels like to just hold space for somebody. And a lot of times when we try to bring in other, other modalities, it can be out of um, either routine or insecurity or not believing that whatever, what we're, what we're just doing with our presence is enough to move energy. So I do keep it really pure and specific and pointed in the training And I, you know, the only thing that I combine, um, I've done breath work with restorative yoga and Reiki. So we'll do the breath work first and then we'll move into restorative yoga and, um, and I'll do, I I would partner with a friend. She would lead the restorative yoga practice. And then I would, we would both do Reiki on people while they're in the postures. And then with breath work and sound, we do the breath work first And then we extend the rest period. So beyond, you know, 10, 15 minutes into half hour, 40 minutes, and we do sound healing then. So I'm not doing anything else during the actual breathwork portion Mm. of it. Um, And, you know, I, I see it as a standalone practice. I see it as a potent, powerful healing practice on its own. So I haven't felt called to combine it with anything else, but, um, you know, I think that, well, by, by combine, I mean, um, yeah, not at the exact same time, but like yeah. after. Yeah. I mean, you, I think that you could, um, one thing that I've thought about that would be really cool would be to combine breath work with a creative practice afterwards. So, you know, maybe if you were, um, you know, you could have people channel and funnel some of that really vibrational energy and those, you know, maybe those ideas are coming in into painting or writing or journaling um, or even dance. You know, you could do breath work and move into an ecstatic dance practice. Like there's really a lot of potential, um, you know, just limited by your own creativity for what would feel like um, could come before or after that practice. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying that I really appreciate about it is it's not as opposed to perhaps some other types of spiritual work or, or yoga or meditation. Sometimes it's very dogmatic and it's very specific and you can, there's only one right way to do it. Right. And for me, I find that really limiting and it doesn't work for me. Actually, I need to have a little bit more freedom and a little bit more opening to possibility. Like, okay, I, cause I totally agree. This breath work can absolutely stand by itself. And I think it's plenty, 
but also from, from more of the facilitation side of it or more of the teaching side of it, thinking about like, all right, well, what, is there something else that could partner with this for a really like a specific special event? Yeah. I mean, that's just up to, you know, whatever your mind can come up with. Definitely. Um, I mean, people like to do different themes with breath work, which, you know, are not, are not necessary, but they can add something to it. You know, if you're doing, you know, breath work for healing breakups or breath work for trauma, you know, you could add some additional practices onto, um, onto that, you know, if you're doing a group, um, that could facilitate and, help move some energy around healing specific things, you know, journaling prompts or partner work, um, eye gazing, you know, it really like the sky's the limit to how you want to, to work with it. Um, and I also think like, you know, all of the, it, it just depends on who you are and, and what you want to share. You know, if you're inspired to share something and add something in addition to the practice, I think that that's cool and fine and you should do whatever feels right. And also remember that you as a channel of the work and a facilitator um, of your own unique personal cultivation and human history, um, everybody like I had someone asked the other day or someone asked my friend, Michelle, we're both breathwork uh, teachers and, and they were like, how can you be friends with Aaron? Like, don't you feel competition with her? And we all feel, well, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I feel like most of us feel like our communication and understanding and our own personal journey with the practice is so unique that we bring it through in a different way just because of who we are as people. Mm, so, mm. um, you know, you don't have to dress it up or put any bells and whistles on it, but you can if you want to. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And that's just what I'm saying. Like, there's the freedom there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, definitely. I it's mean, very pragmatic. yes, which is so great, but there's, but there's so many cool little components to it. And, um, one of the things I really loved, uh, about the, when you trained us to do, uh, the one-on-one work was using all of the tools and, you know, you yeah. were very clear, they're tools, that's it. They're not the practice. They just enhance the practice or could enhance yes. the practice. And I love that you were so clear about that because that's a lot about what we say in yoga as well, especially related to the asana, the movement, but um, so many of the other things too, they're just tools and all they're designed to do is help us get present. That's it. Yes. <laughs> How yes. do we get present? Which comes back to the idea. It's like so simple and yet it is so complex at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think because we, um, you know, culturally, and I can only speak for, you know, American culture, but we, there's, we've been kind of trained into like the aha moment, you know, the big fireworks and like the big breakthrough and like the, the big feelings and all of that stuff. And I think it can, um, it can have us be skeptical and kind of diminish the power of, of just our bodies as sacred breast vessels and the breath, like mm-hmm. what can happen. And we know you know, I know from experiencing this breath work that just with your body and just with the breath, like 
insane, fantastical, wild healings can happen. And you don't need an essential oil and you don't need Palo Santo and you don't need the best music playlist ever that things can happen. And, and I think that we can be so used to feeling like our bodies are enemies or they're not a safe place to be or they're not working right or they're exhausted or sick or in pain that we we diminish the importance of these tools that are just inherent and that exist within us and feel like we need something more shiny and expensive and big to make change when it's really not the case. Mm. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's just one more layer of distraction. And we see this, I mean, you, you live in LA now, so I can only imagine <laughs> the level of wellness distraction that you encounter every day. And what I mean by that is like all the latest and greatest powders and potions and skin products and hair products and oils and spritzes and this and that. And, that. and it's, it's cool, of course, but it's also at some point it is just designed, it's pulling you further away from the practice of awareness rather than bringing you closer to it because it's still all external. Yeah. And it, it kind of sells you on the idea that there's like a magic potion that'll make everything better. Like maybe if I take 20 tinctures, I'll like heal my trauma when you actually just have to just get in there. <laughs> yeah. And do the work, which is what it yeah. comes back to do the work and do the work. It's, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't need those bells and whistles, like you said. And I think that is actually a really inspiring message and one that maybe we don't hear enough because yeah, I don't think we hear that enough because of the capitalist culture, which wants <laughs> us to believe that we have to spend a whole bunch of money to be able to get better. And like the body is free. The breath is free. Nature is free. Like, you know, the, the, the main things that we can actually do to help ourselves don't cost anything. Yes, I know. And meditation, it's, meditation. <laughs> yeah. It's, exercise, you know, spending time in nature spend $50 to go to yoga class. Like you can get a book, you can watch YouTube, you can just move your body in a way that facilitates release and stretching just intuitively. There's so much that's not, that doesn't cost anything that can create huge change for you. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's okay. Now I'm all fired up. I'm like, okay, <laughs> keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Totally. Such a good message. And I, I have to say, I actually don't live in LA. I, oh. I still haven't found a home. I just have to say that because I can't, I can't identify myself as an LA person. It's not, it's, I, I can't do it. Um, but I still haven't, I've been traveling for a year and nine months now, so I haven't found a home yet. But if I do move, I'm going to move to Topanga Canyon, which is outside of LA and in a totally different type. It's like a hippie nature enclave. Like it's more like the country. But if I move somewhere, I'm going to move there. I could never live in LA. No offense to LA. But um, yeah, the wellness culture is insane there. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you clarified that. I just knew you'd move from Brooklyn to California. So I, I didn't actually, because I, I don't live anywhere. I don't have a home. Oh, okay. You just closed your practice yeah. in Brooklyn? Yeah, I just, I was subletting that. I just, I, and the lease ended, but I hadn't been practicing there for oh, almost two years. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I know nobody knows what I'm doing. I think <laughs> um, there's like two friends I have that actually understand what I'm doing with my life, but um, yeah, no home, 
Got no it. Base, oh. No apartment, no nothing, just my suitcase. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is trusting. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a trip. It's very, it's just intuitive. It's like, where do I go next? I don't know. Let's figure it out. Mm. So yeah, it's been a big, a big practice. Oh, so cool though. That's, uh, oh, it's yeah. fun. <laughs> Gosh, well, I, I have had so much fun talking to you, Erin and connecting mm-hmm. and I, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm so inspired and I was so grateful that I got to come meet you and do training with you. And it was definitely a highlight of my year. Um, oh, mine too. Yeah. It was, London was cool. Yeah. The space was awesome. And so I'm hoping I'm putting my intentions out there that you're going to be coming back to Europe next year, doing some more training. Um, yes. Come back over on this side of the pond. I would love to. I mean, I had so much fun in London and I feel like I didn't even know that there was a European kind of presence that I had over there. So um, I'm planning on it. I'm planning on it. And hopefully I can bring back um, level two or maybe another level one or spend a couple weeks there and maybe do one there, one in Sweden. I don't know. But it's, it's it's brewing. It's happening. Um, your group was amazing. That was an absolutely beautiful weekend. I love that weekend with all of you. Yeah, it was so cool. And it's, um, yeah, I just, I got, I think you said this about your practice and your response when you found breath work, but it was absolutely a shot in the arm for me too. like to be inspired in a different way. And, and I'm doing another yoga training this year, which I'm super excited about, but um, you're taking it or teaching it, taking it. Um, yeah. And so staying a student and it was really nice to do breath work. And I'm really, I didn't have any expectations for the training. I didn't have any expectations for what would happen after the training. It was purely for myself and my healing and my continuing to work on myself. And, um, yeah, I'm really inspired to share it. And I've taught, I've done one group actually in part Mm. of my 300 hour advanced yoga teacher training. I taught a session And so it was a group, a small group, a group that I have worked with for um, six months and it's a year long program. So we have that trust and we have that kind of community already built. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And it was definitely following my intuition, definitely just sort of letting spirit guide me a little bit. And I have got to tell you, Erin, I had the best time and, (laughs) and I think it was a very successful, um, session, everybody really, I think, got quite a bit out of it. And so then that was a little boost for me. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm on the right track. <laughs> yeah, and you have the best time, you know, that was a good session for people too. That's, I mean, this work brings me so much joy. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I think that that's one of the best things is, is the fun that we have, you know, cause we have to have fun with this too. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, thank you again. And um, I'll put a link in all the show notes to your webpage and anything else that you would like to share. Um, so people listening will be able to follow you, see what your schedule is, see when you're coming back over to uh, Europe or maybe even Scandinavia. <laughs> and again, just another little nudge. And um, yeah, thank you. And I, I hope you have an amazing day and and following wherever you land next.
Thank you so much. I love speaking with you. I love these kind of conversations where we never know where, where we'll end up. And, um, and I just um, hope that it serves your listeners and that they get something good out of this. Yes. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> Great. Absolutely. All right. Bye, Erin. Bye. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.